Okay, if you please, turn to your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Father, those of us who are in Christ, we stand before you this morning not as those who are at the base of Mount Sinai, but we stand as those who are under the cross. The cross where Jesus purchased our justification and our development, our growth, our sanctification, our being conformed into the image of Christ. And so I ask you to help me deal with this verse in such a way that your Holy Spirit would joyfully be changing us from one degree of glory to another. So that all the glory goes to Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh. Amen. I want you to raise your hand if you have never told a lie. Come on. Well, that was was that half hard? Okay, there's another lie. Every one of us in this room is born into this world as liars. And by three years old, it's crystal clear to us and to others. I just went to the internet this week because of this. And are there studies on lying? And there are. So I got a few printouts just to give you some statistics and findings that those who study this very ubiquitous activity called lying. One begins this way. There are two things you can say for sure about human beings. Our opposable thumbs make us great at using tools. And we are all big, fat liars. By age four, 90% of children have grasped the concept of lying. And it just gets worse from there. 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without telling at least one lie. But even that number makes it sound better than it really is. Those people in the study who did lie actually told an average of three lies during their interview about lying. And I know you're sitting there right now insisting that you're part of the 40% that didn't lie. That's what the liars in the study thought also. 
when they watched the taped conversations back, saw themselves, they were shocked at how many fibs they had just told. So, where do people lie the most, according to the study? Well, here's a couple. Resumes. 40% of people admit to lying on their resumes. 90% of people admit to lying on dating sites. 80% of women admit to telling harmless half-truths occasionally. 30% of people lie about their diet and their exercise regimens. Men tell six lies a day and women tell three lies a day to their spouse, their boss, and their colleagues on average. Now, one-tenth of lies are just exaggerations. But 60% were outright deceptions. Now, what are the reasons they find in their study of, co- of people lying? A few of the top ones is people lie in order to save face, the reputation. People lie in order to shift the blame to someone else. People lie in order to avoid confrontation or to get their own way. And finally, most people lie an average of four times a day, which equates to 1,460 lies every year. The number one reason for lying is to get out of trouble or to make ourselves look good. So, what's the point? The point is, and I don't mean the world as a whole now, Every changed sinner that is by new birth who has come into Christ, the point this morning is that now even our condition is a constant struggle with being truthful. None of us is beyond the temptation. And so we need to take Paul's words in this verse to heart. Therefore, put away lying, falsehood, and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. What's he saying to us? I'm going to say it very clearly. Paul is saying this. Stop sinfully lying. He's dealing with sinful lying. Now, Joe, why did you feel the necessity to put an adjective in front of lying? The reason is because I'm a biblical interpreter. Biblical interpretation is trying to understand the meaning of a text. Or here, trying to understand Paul's intended meaning of what he just said. In other words, give me an example. This is the question we all must ask. Because of verse 25, does Paul mean that, here you are, you're a Christian, Polish Christian in 19... 
42, and you're hiding 12 Jews in your attic from the Nazis who want to murder them legally. And they come banging at your door and they ask you, are there any Jews in this house? Is Paul saying you must tell them the facts that there are Jews or you will be sinning? That's the question. In other words, is that scenario, and it's an honest question, is that scenario one of the intentions that Paul means when he says, therefore put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. That's on one side. Let me give you another. Very different than that. Say, You've had a hard week. You're not doing well. All kinds of things are bombarding your life. You show up at church or at the workplace or with family. Internally, it's hard. Someone asks you, hey, how you doing? And you say, I'm fine. Okay. Did you necessarily sin when you said that? That's the question. Is that what Paul's trying to drive at? You see, the essence of exegesis, you know, getting at the meaning of a text, it is to ask, what is Paul's intent? Now, I know that starting the sermon this way, and we're going to get to his intent, is really dangerous. And what I'm going to do over the next ten minutes. I understand it. It's dangerous because every one of us are sinners. And every one of us, because of our sin, will be tempted to use and to make excuses to over-rationalize some points I'm going to make in order that our non-truth-telling, which is sinful, we would try to deem as unsinful. But I'm going to risk doing it anyway because of what I want to do before we get to what I think Paul means, I want to paint two categories of what I think Paul is not talking about. Alright, so let's, the first, let's just say, after church, you have plans to go to lunch with a friend or two. Ones that you've done before and you're looking forward to it because you'll probably sit there for three hours having relaxed, it's not work joyful and deep conversation. Someone else walks up, finds out you guys are going to that restaurant and they have nothing to do. And they say, do you mind if I come? Internally, that moment, you do mind. That's not my plan. That would change the dynamic. But you say, no, that'd be great. Come on with us. Is Paul saying you just sinned? That's the question. See, this gets really messy. Think about this now. Because in that same scenario, within the next 40 seconds, your thoughts have changed. Oh, I wanted that. I knew that would be great to go lunch just with those two. And then you realize, so-and-so is lonely. They're hurting. And you start to take your eyes off of your immediate desire and think about them. And guess what? Your internal, where no one can see, just changed. I really do want you to come within 40 seconds. 
Same thing. It's fine. Okay, come. See, the point is, this gets messy there. When you're talking about subjective, internal, fleeting thoughts or emotions, right? Okay. Or, how about this one? Honey, does this dress make me look fat? Okay, is Paul telling us to say, of course it makes you look fat. Anything you wear makes you look fat. Does he, is that his point? Be truth telling. Okay. Of course not. You ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, wisdom, insight, growing up, context? In other words, my point is this. When he says stop the falsehood and speak truth to one another, he's not trying to get us Christians to act like unfeeling, inhuman computers. Two plus two is four. Yes, you look fat. It's not what he's doing. Computers are not human. They don't understand the complexities of life and humanity and brokenness in in a sinful world where most often choices are made between bad and worse. Not what you might say. He's not pushing for Christians to be inhuman, unfeeling, non-wisdom machines. He's not talking about always saying what you truly feel or think at any given moment, no matter what the context. What Paul is driving at is stop cheating each other. Stop deceiving in manipulating facts in order to get your own selfish desires for stuff or things or reputation, etc. Stop it. Stop exaggerating in order to make yourself look good. Hey, I didn't see you last week at Bible study. Where were you? And then you... Say you were somewhere you weren't. He says, stop it! Just tell him the truth. I didn't want to go. Don't lie to that person that you're selling your used car to about the car. So that you can make the transaction, just signed over and you got your cash. He says, stop that. Don't lie to the customers in your business. Stop lying to sinfully protect your own pride. So here Paul says, put away falsehood and speak truth. Okay. Truth. Remember he used this earlier in chapter 4. Christians, the body, speak the truth in love. To one another. He means two different things. Earlier he meant 
speak the truth of theology, of doctrine, of the gospel constantly. That's what he meant earlier. Here, what he means by truth is speak accurately. Represent the facts accurately. And therefore, when he says put away falsehood, by falsehood, he means a deliberate, a conscious misrepresentation of the facts. Okay, see, this brings us to the other issue. First was the subjective, the feelings, love, change your heart. Okay. Now we're talking about facts outside of us. See, how tall are you? I'm 5'11". You just lied. We can measure you. You're 5'9". It's an objective fact. Now, if you, and if you know you're 5'9", then you've lied. Okay. So, concerning this issue, stop telling falsehoods by misrepresenting facts. Christians divide over whether it is always wrong or always sinful to lie deliberately about the facts. To to tell an untruth to another human being. Like lying to the Nazis who bang on your door and ask you, are there any Jews in the attic? And you know there are. And you say, no. You have misrepresented the facts. And over that issue, genuine Christians divide over whether that is necessarily sinful or not. So, where do I stand? Let me, let me just put it this way. If I were that Christian in Poland in 1942, and one day in glory in the resurrection, finally get my turn to sit down with the Apostle Paul by some glorious river, and then I say to Paul, Paul, I really loved your exhortation to not tell lies, but to speak truthfully about the facts. And Paul, there was a day back in 1942 where I was hiding Jews in my attic. But i got to tell you, Paul, I, it was a hard day because I wanted to lie. But I memorized verse 25 of Ephesians 4 that you wrote and that got me through and so I delivered up 12 human beings to their death but Paul my conscience won out I just want to let you know how important your words were to me I think Paul would put his head in his hands and say oh no Please don't blame me. You should have used your common sense and paid attention to the context of my letter that I wrote. Sure, I stand. Now, let me just say, I do not think that fellow Christians who disagree with me on this are bad people, nor do I think they love Jesus any less than I do. I think they're on the same pursuit of wanting to obey Scripture and to struggle with ethics and how they work themselves out in very different relative situations. But I do think Paul might go on to say to me, 
Don't you remember Exodus chapter 1? When the king of Egypt wanted to lessen the manpower of Israel, of the Hebrews, the slaves, because they're getting bigger and bigger and men grow up to be fighters. And so he commanded the midwives, those who who helped deliver babies of the Hebrews, he told them that when boys come out of the womb as opposed to girls, kill them. Let me just read what Exodus 1, 16, 17 says. When you serve as midwife, this is the king of Egypt, to the Hebrew women, and you see them on the birth stool, they're, 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 they've been in labor, they're ready to go, okay? If it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them and let the male children live. So first notice the text. But the midwives feared God and thus didn't kill the babies. Disobeyed their earthly authority. Now, that's not lying at this point. But there's somewhat analogous here because doesn't Paul tell us also obey the authorities? The governing authorities? Peter says the same thing. You mean there might be exceptions? You mean Peter himself might say to the religious strong authority that Rome gave them over them when they said you've got to stop preaching? He said no. Because you, what you're telling me is opposed to what God tells me. Therefore I must disobey you. Yes. So these midwives had a choice. And they chose God. But... Notice the text, it goes on in verses 18 and 19 to show then that the midwives clearly lied, misrepresented the facts. So the king of Egypt called and the midwives called the midwives and he said to them, "Why have you done this and let the male children live?" The midwives said to Pharaoh, We did it because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife gets there. They have very short labors, and we just never get there in time. The baby's all out of the womb. It's really hard to pull the baby out of the womb. Mother's over there and snap its neck and kill it immediately. She's already holding the baby by the time we get there. They're lying. And then the next verse goes on to praise them. And God dealt with the midwives well. And then there's Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, received the Hebrew spies, and she lied. Verses 4 to 6 of Joshua 2. And Rahab said, after they asked her about the spies, True, the men came to me. There's a truth. But I did not know where they were from. 
Yes, she did. She lied. And when, excuse me, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. She lied. I do not know where the men went. She lied. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She lied. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in a row. And then in the New Testament, Hebrews 11 praises her actions here that came from a heart of faith. So, as we now go to the text in Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25, what I have just said at this point, and so we can lay it aside and say, okay, he's already said that now, so don't read that into anything else I'm going to say. It, it is, I've said this, not all misrepresentations of facts are necessarily sinful. And not all saying, I'm fine, means you have just sinned against God. When it didn't represent in that context what you felt. Those kinds of things I am arguing, and I would love to have a conversation over this, they're on the periphery of what Paul doesn't mean. But, now, there is the huge middle of what Paul is driving at. Sin. Sinful lying. In other words, essentially, what Proverbs constantly warns about. Proverbs 12.19, we read this. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Or Proverbs 20.17. Bread, just think money, income, gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Proverbs 21.6 The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And then the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, we read these sobering words. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The point is, what Paul's driving at, what the Proverbs are driving at, what Revelation is driving at, is that truth-telling is hugely important to God. And that those who deceive and lie and manipulate facts constantly in their lives as their normal way of walking are probably outside of Christ's salvation. So, as we come here then to Ephesians 4, 
Don't forget the larger context of verse 25. Because what he says in verse 25, in the larger context, shows that falsehoods, deceptions, lying, it comes from a heart. It's the result. Okay. The therefore, you see verse 25? At the beginning, what's it doing there? It points back to what he has previously said. And most particularly, let me just read verses 22 to 24. Put off, Christian, put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, because of that, stop these actions. That's his flow. Put off the old way of living that flows from a heart of deceit, from your internal desires which deceive you into acting in certain ways. And that's why verse 25 says, therefore, and it starts to lay out actions, certain ways that come from that heart. Lay these actions aside and put these actions on, and he does it through chapter 4, 5, and into chapter 6. But this morning, just verse 25. Verse 22, take off the old nature. Verse 25, take off falsehood. The old nature, the general thing where it's all flowing from, here's a specific example, lying. And so right here, Paul is making it clear that lying is a part of our pre-new birth nature. The old self is deceived. It's filled with desires that sinfully deceive us into thinking it would be better to lie to that person now and to protect my reputation. It's better to embellish the truth that they might think better of me. But Paul urges us in the context to tap in to our new nature. Verse 24. Put on the new self. The one that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Truth-telling is to be our new lifestyle as Christians. We, in other words, Paul says, we don't have to live as we once did. Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So as we hear what Paul says to believers, 
This is the tension all of us as new creatures in Christ feel. Till the day you die, the echo of our old corrupt self with its deceitful longings, urges, desires, will beckon us to tell falsehoods, to tell lies, to avoid truth-telling for sinful reasons. An eight-year-old child, mom's not there, opens the cookie jar and takes a cookie without permission. A few hours later, mom notices a cookie is gone and asks the eight-year-old child, Johnny, did you take a cookie? No. He lied. Okay, let's get to it. Why did he lie? Because he feared mom. He feared not lying in that circumstance. Or did he say it this way? He feared mom more than he feared God. It's the same. Johnny gets older, becomes a grown-up, and it's just more sophisticated. He becomes a building contractor, a remodeler. And what happens? Johnny fears losing out on money as much as he wanted that cookie. And so what does Johnny do? He lies to the homeowner who really says, I have to have my kitchen done in three months. It's got to be done by the 18th of December. Family's coming to town. Can you do it? Johnny says, yes. And he knows he can't. He knows how many jobs he's got. He knows the impossibility for him to get that done. But then and now, he was, he was willing to lie. He'll deal with the homeowner's anger later. He wants the contract. And he wants the money. So, he lies. It's just more sophisticated. That's it. You're an insurance salesman. Hey, you got a connection at church with a fellow Christian. You know their circumstance. You're good with words. And you convince your fellow believer that they need more coverage than they really need. You know it. But you're a salesman. And you get them to buy that policy. Why? Because you want a higher commission. Because you're deceived by the corrupt desires which causes you to rationalize. That's what sales is all about. Everybody else does it. That's exactly the same way the tax collectors in Jesus' and John the Baptist's day rationalized. And they said, stop it. Well, you're a Christian and so you fear <laughs> being deemed as unspiritual within the Christian community. You, so you schmooze. Oh, they like that? Yeah, I read that book. You tell a little white lies to be what you think is accepted in that person's little circle.
No. I never have sexual thoughts like that that come into my head. You lie. Sure, I give 10% of my income. God gets the, the first fruits. Yes, and you know you don't. You lie. Paul says, stop lying to one another. Okay, feel it. Right. Now, here's a good part. Why, according to this text, are we who are born again to have such hope? Hope in conquering our sinful, lying patterns and lifestyles and to put that away. Where's the hope? Well, we've already read it. I want to read it again and see if we hear it. I'll start with verse 22. Paul writes... Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, the one that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul says, here it is, believer, here's your hope. Purposefully, constantly, saturate your minds and your hearts with Scripture. Renew the spirit of your mind. Do this in a prayerful, conscious presence of God. And then as you go daily, you're taking off the old clothes of lying and deception. Your old, corrupt, sinful nature. Take off lying by putting on the new nature. The new clothes. How do you do it? You don't do it like Nike. Just do it. It's not what the text says. You do it by renewing your mind. You do it. By saturating yourself with righteousness and holiness of the truth which jives with the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. That's how we do it. We do it by using the ammunition that destroys Satan's deceptions and lies as he's constantly vying for our old nature to follow him and to copycat him as a liar. And that ammunition is the truth of Scripture. And then at the end of verse 25, Paul gives the motive for stop lying in the text. For, that means Stop lying 
but speak truth to one another. Why? Because we believers are members of one another. Hey, okay, you got this. He just. Paul, why does this work for you? He seems to think if you've been following the analogies that Christ is the head, we are the body of Christ. We are in Christ. He has made us one new man, one temple. He really thinks that's important for Christians to meditate on and to get so that his argument says, you should stop lying. You guys are members of one another. He wants us to feel that so much that when we tell falsehoods sinfully to one another, it would be like us jabbing a nail in our own leg. We're of the same body. But picture that, that you're, you're a hand, and so you grab a hammer in order to whack another member, say your toe, as hard as you can, as if it's not going to hurt you, the hand. There's only one body. Therefore put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. So let me uh, close over the next few minutes then and offer some strategies for fighting the temptation to tell little white lies or big whoppers. First strategy is this. Love God. I mean that as a verb. We're desperate to constantly tell ourselves the truth. God is more desirable than all. Love God. God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. See, there is such a thing as lying because there's such a thing as truth. And there's such a thing as truth because there is a God. And therefore resolve not to fight against God by being a mouthpiece of falsehood in your life. But instead love God in your relationships by stating your motives Clearly, stating facts truthfully. Second strategy. Get it? Oh, we got to get this in our heads. Satan is the source of lies. Jesus said it this way in John 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 
So as a strategy, just know that the enemy of your eternal soul is behind sinful deceptions. So be diligent to be sticklers for truth-telling, even in the smallest things of life. Third, in your daily quiet time with the Lord, just constantly consider how important truthfulness is to God. God hates falsehood. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 19 states it this way. There are six things that the Lord hates seven that are an abomination to him haughty prideful eyes a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans feet that make haste to run to evil a false witness who bears out lies. So just know is your strategy in prayer that our Father, at six, I left out seven, okay? Don't sow discord among brothers. Okay. Our Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, hate lying lips. Proverbs 12, 22 puts it this way. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are His delight. Fourth strategy. This one's going to go more horizontal. First three were vertical. But in lying, little white lies, deceptions, Think about how lying destroys trust. How being very loose with words prevents relationships from growing deeper. See, there's a type of lying that just works like this. It's not just telling... I know that that's true, I'll say this. It, it's a type of lying that around persons, it's a person being a chameleon. The person, oh, I know what their interests are, so I will just act as if their interests are my interests. And then they got opposite interests and went with another person. That's fakeness. And I'm just going to say, See, in wanting deeper relationships, it won't work because those persons who are worthy of deeper relationships almost by definition are wise enough to smell that. And they recognize you're just smoozing them. And internally they go elsewhere. Hmm. No? Okay. Oh, we're going to have a good discussion. Finally, as we all fight our sin 
temptations for lying. Strategy, believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ that He actually purchased all the promises that the Bible says He did. See, evidence that we are not trusting Him at given moments is our listening to the deceitful, corrupt desires of our old nature that whisper to us, you must lie in order to get X, Y, or Z. What's not said there is because you can't trust God for it. So therefore, as we wrestle with that, don't entertain, Paul says, the old nature, but instead be moved by obedience. Obedience from a heart of faith. The biggest problem is what we don't need is I need to go to therapy to find out why I lie so easily. At the core, what we need is to go to God with a heart of faith and obey Him in this. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. And as we go to the blood of Christ, and the body of Christ, as these physical, tangible substances to remember His death, the promises He purchased, and the sanctification He purchased. This is our great hope as believers. We are justified, made righteous. He is working in us. There's hope again for tomorrow to progress in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this glorious Gospel. The gift of Your Son the only righteous, inherently righteous human being who never sinned. And He is our clothing. His righteousness is upon us in Him. Oh, we thank You for breaking the back of our enemy, Satan and demonic powers. You nailed our sins and destroyed their ultimate influence over us. Oh, so Father, we thank You now as we go. <laughs> we go to the cup. And we go to the bread of Your Son. Amen.